the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This show, uh, why we do it every weekend? Uh, here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. And we're always very pleased when you join us. Uh, Alan Dempsey, once again, is doing the engineering. And Andrew Herdliska puts this show together every weekend. I guess we call him the producer. And in the first segment, Tara McClary-Reeves is with us from uh, Davidson, North Carolina. Uh, her new book is out, Point Me to Jesus. 365 devotions for parents and children. Uh, Broad Street, the publisher. Uh, Tara, great to catch up with you. How you doing? Oh, it's wonderful to talk to you. One of my heroes. Thank you for inviting me, Pat Williams. Well, now, you got to tell me about this book, uh, why it was important to write it, how long it took, and what was your mission? Well, uh, Broad Street Publishing uh, is fairly new in the Christian publishing world. Um, I really appreciate Carlton Garbord's heart. I had sent him a proposal for a children's book that I had done, and currently they are not doing children's books. And as he read through my material and read my bio, there was one line at the end of my bio that, that just jumped out at Carlton, and it said, one of Tara's greatest joys and privileges is daily pointing her children to Jesus. And Carlton was just struck by that and reached out to my agent, Brian Mitchell, of um, the Working Title Agency in Nashville, Tennessee, and he said, listen, I I really had a hard time sleeping last night. I was wondering if Tara would be willing to write a resource for parents and children, a devotional resource that um, would be of a discipleship nature, um, where she would be doing 365 mini-lessons, so to speak, for families to do together, would this be something that, that Tara would be willing to do? Well, Brian brought that um, to me, and my husband, Lee, and I prayed about it for several weeks, and um, and really felt like this is something that the Lord had, had opened up for us to grow together. The book itself took about nine months to write, so it was like birthing a baby, to be honest with you. I feel like this is this is my fourth child. <laughs> tell me, tell me was, about your other three, Tara. Yes, um, children or books. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let uh, children. Tell me about them and how they uh, impacted your writing of the book. Yes, we have twins, um, 15-year-old Caroline and Daniel. They're fraternal twins. And we had a bonus baby three years ago when I, right as I turned 43, the Lord blessed us. With another gift, um, all three are just such precious treasures from the Lord, and, and Harrison is um, is now three, so we have almost a dozen years between um, the twins and um, our little Harrison. 
And, you know, I really do feel like the Lord has called Lee and me, knowing that we're very intentional parents and prioritize God's Word in our home every single day, as we saw that modeled and mentored in our own homes, that the Lord has called me to parent literally two generations. And um, I'm so excited to be able to invest in these teens and also these toddlers, because uh, I have an audience to both, and I, I really do feel like the Lord uh, allowed me just to grow in the writing of this book um, to see some of the struggles that, that our teens are having, as well as some of the um, disciplinary issues that moms face with, with toddlerhood and um, understanding that, you know, we all of us um, have a sin issue that needs to be addressed by the blood of Jesus. And, um, and so pointing them to Jesus is definitely um, my husband's objective and my objective as well. And, and I do pray that that's exactly what this, this book does, is to point people to the only answer for any problem that we have in our family, whether it's um, in child rearing or just um, in our daily work, whether it be in the office or in the office at home. But because um, I do believe as, as stay-at-home moms, that's one of the greatest callings that you can have, and I'm, I'm honored that the Lord's called me to that position. Tara, what are the struggles that teenagers are having these days? What are you seeing? I'm seeing a real crisis of identity um, right now, Pat, and I'm sure you could speak more to this than even I can because um, you have 19. Um, So you definitely understand that, um, sadly, when um, a world has moved away from truth and um, and tried to um, find security in things and in in people and in everything but the only answer, who is Jesus, um, there can be that crisis of identity. And to point them to know that they are loved um, immensely and eternally, and that God loves them so much that he sent Jesus to pay the ultimate price on the cross at Calvary for their sins, and for them to know that um, they are here for a purpose and for an incredible mission that the Lord has established for them to get to know Him on an intimate basis every single day, and that every 24 hours is a gift um, to express our love and devotion to Him. And uh, what a delight that is as a parent to point my child when she's struggling with mean girls at school to the unchanging truth in the Word of God that says she's fearfully and wonderfully made and that we are not to compare ourselves to one another, that we are unique, each created um, so perfectly, wonderfully for um, the wonderful relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a joy it is to see our children understanding that and, and to apply God's Word in their lives. And when boys and girls are mean to our children um, as parents, instead of wanting to lash out, um, to really put those children, those those mean girls and boys on a prayer list and watch the Holy Spirit just change their hearts and lives as we be disciplined to pray for them and just to allow our children to see that the power is not in us, but it is through His Holy Spirit to change hearts and lives. And um, I, if I ever do a, a Bible study, Pat, for women, I want to do a Bible study on the difference between desire and discipline, because I see a lot of parents that have a desire to know Christ and have a desire to do things the right way, um, but sadly, 
they, they lack the discipline to apply those biblical principles in their lives. And so my intent in writing Point Me to Jesus was to give some disciplined approaches in how to take the living Word of God and make it applicable in every life situation that they might be facing in their home. Tara, Tara McClary Reeves is our guest from North Carolina. Her book is called Point Me to Jesus, 365 Devotionals for Parents and Children. Tara, every uh, parent struggles or worries about uh, young adults walking away from their faith, perhaps when they head off to college. Uh, what's the answer here? Do you uh, see any or have any insights uh, based on your research here about uh, how to get on top of that one? Well, I, you know, I, I definitely believe that it begins with the individual heart, um, especially of the parent. That, um, you know, I, I love Ruth Bell Graham's quote one time when, um, you know, and, and she and Billy, of course, both humans struggled in their marriage, and there were things that she wanted to change about him and things that I'm sure he wanted to change about her. And, and she said, you know, it's not my job to change Billy. It's, my, it's, it's God's job to change him. It's my job to love him. And I think sometimes we try in our humanness to change each other, and um, only the Holy Spirit can change a heart that's hurting. And we all have hurting hearts when we have not placed our trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is the only answer. And so my advice to parents would be to model, first and foremost, um, the fact that they are living consistently behind closed doors, that they are putting into practice um, the truth of God's Word in their own life, that they are spending time every single day in God's Word, that they are honoring Him not just as their Savior, but as their Lord um, over every decision that they make, that they are making sure. I, sometimes I don't think it's, you know, I think sometimes we'll, we'll we don't have a problem sometimes just accepting the fact that Jesus paid it all on the cross for our sins, and we love Him as our Savior, and I think loving Him as our Lord is sometimes a greater challenge because we, we just are resistant to surrender uh, those issues, whether it be a wayward child or whether it be um, our own rebellious thought life or whatever that we're not putting under the submission of the Holy Spirit. Tara. Uh, McClary Reeves is our guest. More with her talking about her book, Point Me to Jesus. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-485-7178. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes, are overweight, or have high blood pressure. Term Providers help thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. 
to buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you. All you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-485-7178. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-485-7178. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. Call 800-485-7178. 800-485-7178. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 530 Sunday on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This just in, death, destruction, and violence. Film at 11. Come on. Is all the news really bad? How about some good news in your daily routine? You'll find it when you log on to Christianity.com. They've got great devotionals, terrific Bible study tools, quizzes, and links to the day's most inspiring stories from around the web. Get good news every day when you set your homepage to Christianity.com. Make a difference in your Internet life. Christianity.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Tara McClary Reeves is with us from North Carolina. We're talking about her new book, Appointment to Jesus, 365 Devotionals. By the way, Tara, how does one sit down and go about writing a devotional? And how do you do 365 of them? power of prayer this past year, because I had a team, um, I have a Bible study group that I meet with weekly on Thursdays in my home, and I had those girls praying. My husband is a praying husband, and I have parents and in-laws that that are praying parents, and um, a sister that just totally um, intercedes on my behalf on a daily basis, and and I just really experienced um, that unity of believers around me and just um, allowing me um, the, the privilege of taking every day to the, um, the throne room on my behalf. And I just, as I was reading God's Word, um, allowing Him just to inspire a thought that um, an inspiration is God-breathed. And I do recall one particular day I was sitting and, and rereading the account of Peter getting out of the boat um, and walking on the water towards Jesus. And as, as I was reading that, I thought, you know, Pat, back then they didn't have motors on their boats, and um, the, the, the wooden boats were often tipsy. And I thought about Peter as he stood up with those 11 disciples, and they're looking through the storm at Jesus walking towards them, and Peter wants to get up as Jesus calls him to himself, and I, I imagined Judas grabbing Peter's robe and saying, "Hey, you're going to tip us over. You're going to we're, we're going to all just splatter in the water if you don't sit down, Peter." And Peter didn't. And I entitled that devotional "Rock the Boat." And I wanted to encourage my teens how important it is to be willing to rock the boat for your Savior. Because had Peter not been willing to stand up and rock the boat and then get out. 
he would not have experienced um, that particular aspect of God's character in his life, and his friends wouldn't have seen it. And so um, so little things like that, um, and that's how the Lord works in His Word. It's just amazing when, when we are really seeking Him with that hunger and that enthusiasm for His truth, just how He brings insights to us that, you know, have been there, but, you know, at that particular time, He just wanted me to see that. So I was glad to, to be able to capture some things like that that I could share with my children at a time in their teen years, where I want them to be bold for Christ and stand up and, and be willing to, to shake things up around them, knowing that the Lord is the only unshakable foundation that they will ever be able to walk out on confidently. Uh, Tara, what did your parents do well in raising you and your sister? Oh, my parents did a lot of things very well. Um, there is no perfect parent apart from our Heavenly Father, um, but I am thankful that He has given us His rule book, um, His Bible, His truth, that um, enables us to pattern ourselves so closely after Him, and I saw my parents do that. They were quick to ask for forgiveness when they made a mistake, which taught me so much about uh, love and, and true concern for your fellow man. Uh, every day we read Scripture together as a family. Uh, we would read five chapters of Psalms a day and one chapter of Proverbs a day, and, and then we would discuss that as a family. Um, we would read through the Bible in a year. Um, my parents at night, we would start at the beginning of the year in January in Genesis, and we would finish up um, in December with Revelation. And, you know, when you are really making God's Word a priority in your home, um, He honors that commitment. And, of course, we had struggles along the way, but there was nothing that I never felt I could not talk to my parents about. Um, both my sisters, my, my, both my sister and I um, maintained our virginity until our wedding night. And, uh, you know, I think a, a huge part of that decision was the incredible uh, ability that we had to have a mom and dad that were our, our accountability partners in our dating life. Um, even in college, mom and dad, I'll remember when they, I said I'd be home at a certain time, they would call to make sure that, you know, I was sticking to that commitment. And, and I, I think that built-in accountability in families is so important, and I, I just treasure them. And, and I do want to say um, to your listeners, my parents' ministry, they have a fabulous ministry that uh, they do a lot for a lot of people, and they have especially um, committed their hearts to our military, our brave men and women who are serving our country. My parents' ministry, along with Broad Street Publishing, in collaboration, they have bought um, the majority of the first printing of Point Me to Jesus, and they are going to be distributing those to um, military families um, on the different bases throughout our country. So really excited to share that. But that's how I've seen my whole life my parents' heart for the Lord and their love for other people. And, uh, and that has just been such an incredible example to me. Um, my mom and dad just love the Lord Jesus, and um, I saw that just demonstrated. They'll be celebrating 50 years of marriage this coming year, March 26, 2017, and, and what a gift um, their commitment to love has been to my sister Kristen and to me and now to all of our our children. 
Uh, talk for a minute, Tara, about uh, grandparents and where you see them fitting in uh, to this book you've written. Well, I tell you, one of the endorsements that meant so much to me, and of course they all did, but uh, Coach Joe Gibbs um, lives very close to us. We attend the same church, and uh, you know Coach Gibbs is a successful NFL uh, football coach and now um, a successful NASCAR race owner. And um, what, what he said meant so much, he said that it's relevant for the, the whole family but he said, I can see um, that it is especially relevant just to me um, as, as a grandfather and, and as an individual. And um, at these lessons, I do see grandparents reading personally. And no matter what the age of their child is, whether he be um, a three-year-old or even a 30-year-old uh, grandchild, these lessons, I pray, will minister to the heart of the adult first, and then that adult will look at ways to tailor the lesson to whatever age, um, grandchild, or child that that they may have. Um, So this book is not necessarily written for toddlers. Um, I did sort of gear it, and I'm glad you asked that question, more to the adult, and allow just the inspiration of the, the Holy Spirit through His Word, because I will say the most important part of these devotions is not what I say, Pat. It's the verse that is at the top of the page. And I do pray that every grandparent and every child will open God's Word, not just not just suffice to have a devotional as their daily reading, but that they will actually open up the Word of God, look up the verse that each of these devotions is based on, because the power is not in my Word. The power is in the Word of God. And, uh, and that's what I really pray to see happening, is that we will have another generation of grandparents and parents and ultimately children that will value the truth and the wisdom. The only source of truth is the Bible, and that they will open it up and use it as the rule book and the guidebook for life that it is. Tara McClary Reeves is with us. Her book is called Point Me to Jesus. Uh, Tara, what have you learned about the most effective or pleasing or satisfying way of reading the Bible? Oh, satisfying way. Um, I tell you, I like to do different things um, with God's Word. Um, There are days where I may, um, as I was accustomed to growing up, go to the Psalms, which the Psalms are man's relationship to God, and I love the um, relationship expressed through each of those verses um, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so I may um, choose on one day to read five chapters of Psalms. Um, If you read five chapters of Psalms in a month, you you get through the entire book of Psalms, and then there are 31 chapters of Proverbs, and you could literally read one chapter of Proverbs a day and get through that wisdom book, because that is how God wants man to treat man. Um, so in Proverbs, um, what I'm enjoying right now is going again through the book of John. If, if any of your listeners have never even done a Bible study before, um, before you buy my devotional, and I, I really hope that you, you will, the most important book you can open is the Word of God. And go to the book of John and just see who Jesus is and how much He loves you 
in that he came to live a perfect, sinless life, to die a perfect sacrifice for your sins, because all of us, the Bible says, not one of us is without sin. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I just want every one of your listeners to know that um, God's Word is truth, and it is life. And um, when you have a relationship with Jesus, your life is secure, and it is on the greatest adventure you can imagine when you have accepted Him and have His Holy Spirit alive within you. So I'm actually going back through that particular book of the Bible. But as long as you're getting in God's Word every single day, um, I would, would advise against playing Russian roulette, just opening up the Bible and turning to a verse. Um, surely the Holy Spirit could work through that as long as He knows that you are just making His Word a commitment. But I do think um, having a, a great plan, an intentional plan of action is, is good. So I would advise just maybe going first to the book of John and just reading that for a month. And then um, after that, just see where the Lord leads. There's some fabulous resources um, out there, and I would be happy if, if anybody would want to email me at tarareads98 at hotmail.com. I would be glad to help tailor um, a devotional guide for you, and I do pray that my Point Me to Jesus um, is that guide that you can look up the different verses at the top of each daily devotion and make sure that you are applying the principles that, that God has commanded through His Word for us to apply, not just for um, our blessing, but um, just for our, um, just an expression of our love to Him. Tara, what's the key to having a 50-year marriage? Well, I do believe it's, number one, making your relationship to Jesus Christ first and foremost. Um, you know, I think sometimes our priorities are misconstrued, and we want to put our husbands first and then our children and then our relationship to the Lord. And, and that, as the Bible says, is idolatry. Anything that we put before the Lord Jesus is an idol. And um, so the Lord is certainly not going to bless anything that is out of His perfect order because He is holy and everything He does is right, and so He's not going to contradict what He says is the only plan that, <laughs> that works because he's so loving. Um, so I do believe that a marriage is not going to be successful unless um, each spouse has first made that commitment to make the Lord Jesus their Savior and their Lord. And then growing together, as I've seen my parents do through adversity, my parents were only married six months before my dad volunteered to go to Vietnam. And when he came back, he was minus an arm and minus an eye. And my mother um, did not con define commitment based on convenience, because that certainly wasn't convenient for a young bride of six months to face, but because um, she knew what commitment was and loved my father, and they started growing together in uh, their daily walk with Christ, knowing that he never allows suffering without a purpose. Um, I just truly believe that there is no key to a happy marriage, and there is no key to a happy life apart from a personal relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just not going to happen. And being able to be on the same page and be able to discipline 
your children and to respond to each other based on the principles that are in God's Word, it, you just see that it works. You definitely see that it works. Tara McClary-Reeves has been our guest. Her book is out. It's called Point Me to Jesus, 365 Devotions for Parents and Children. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. Stay with us. We'll be right back. More WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Tara McClary Reeves, our guest in the first half hour, talking about her book, Point Me to Jesus. Uh, Christopher Smith is here. Uh, he's my next guest. He's in Indianapolis. Founder and senior editor of the Englewood Review of Books. And uh, we're going to talk about his latest book. It's called... Reading for the Common Good. Uh, Chris, nice to talk to you. I'm glad you can join me. Thanks for having me, Pat. Uh, So why did you write the book? Why was this important? Well, it came out of uh, my reflection of doing uh, the work I do as a uh, the editor of the Englewood Review of Books, and uh, which we review a wide range of books, uh, but we do so for a Christian audience. And so basically, I've always been kind of wrestling with questions of uh, why do we read and how do we read well? Uh, and, that, and this book is kind of my attempt to, uh, to answer those questions. Uh, your intro is called The Local Church as Learning Organization. Uh, what's your point here? Sure. The, the, the idea, the concept of a learning organization uh, comes from uh, business guru uh, Peter Senga, who wrote a book probably in the early 1990s, almost 25 years ago, um, called The Fifth Discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he introduces this concept of a learning organization. Basically, he says it's not enough just for a, a company. He's, again, writing mostly in the business context, but uh, it's not enough for a company just to simply make widgets and expect to do that really well Make uh, for forever or whatever. He says that uh, organizations kind of at the end of the 20th and into the 21st centuries have always have to be kind of uh, paying attention to, to changing markets and changing, changing times and uh, always kind of uh, learning and adapting. Uh, and I thought that what, that sort of uh, analogy was pretty helpful for, uh, for our churches, that, um, that we always have to kind of be attentive uh, to uh, to the places in which we live and to the, the times in which we live and always kind of adapting and changing. Um, again, it's, it follows from uh, the nature of, of discipleship. Uh, a disciple is uh, a learner, one who learns, uh, and I think to think of our churches as learning organizations uh, seem to fit pretty well for me. There are nine interesting chapters here, Christopher. Uh, the first one I want you to explain to us, slow reading in accelerating times. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, certainly. Um, so, uh, uh, so I had written a book a few years ago called our COVID book called Slow Church, uh, and that comes out of the uh, slow food movement, which encourages uh, people to uh, slow down to eat good food, local food, organic food, uh, and to really uh, build community around the table and build community by. Um, uh, by knowing the people that grow our food. And similarly with reading, uh, there's been kind of a slow move, reading movement that's kind of come in the wake of slow food and a number of other slow movements. But, but basically, uh, just learning to, uh, to slow down to, to really pay attention, uh, to what we're reading. Obviously, uh, starting with scripture, uh, because for us in the Christian tradition, uh, scripture is kind of the, the primary, uh, text, uh, that provides meaning for us. But, um, 
but then kind of also uh, uh, learning to to read other things that help us uh, understand Scripture, understand kind of what it meant to the people that it was written for, understand what it means for us today, understand the times in which we live, in which we uh, need to discern what faithfulness looks like uh, to the scriptural story. Uh, so, so it takes all, all this kind of reading, and it takes uh, doing it slowly and doing it well. And I, I point in this chapter to uh, to preaching uh, as a kind of, of slow reading that is pretty familiar to us uh, in the Christian tradition. Um, but I, I have a feeling, uh, probably over the last 50 years or so, that uh, people aren't being as attentive to to the preaching in our churches um, and to really kind of engaging with it uh, and uh, really uh, paying attention uh, to what what we're being taught uh, through preaching. Shaping the social imagination. Uh, that's the next topic for you, Chris. Sure, yeah. Um, so the social imagination is... Uh, uh, I'm kind of borrowing from a Canadian so- social philosopher, Charles Taylor, um, but is the place where kind of reading intersects with with our lives. Uh, and so uh, every sort of structure that we have in our life, from the eight-hour workday to, um, to driving on the right-hand side of the road, I mean, any sort of structure uh, kind of exists within a social imagination, a way that we imagine the world, imagine and give structure to the world. And and reading is important for kind of understanding uh, uh, all these structures that by which we um, encounter the world. But it's also important uh, for helping us to imagine uh, ways of changing, uh, changing the way that we imagine and ultimately the ways that we live within the world. Um, so, uh, I mean, obviously... There's there's sin in the world. There's a lot of brokenness, and uh, and reading I think is really important uh, for the work of of starting to imagine uh, more healthy, more flourishing ways of of us uh, uh, of us living and uh, working within the world. And and the social imagination is kind of this this place where uh, we, in conversation with with others around us. Um, that that reading starts to give shape uh, to to the ways that we talk about and imagine and hopefully live more faithfully within the world. Christopher Smith is with us from Indianapolis. He's the author of Reading for the Common Good, IVP Books, uh, the publisher. Uh, Chris is also the founder and senior editor of the Englewood Review of Books. Uh, Chris, we've arrived at this topic for you, Reading and Our Congregational Identity. Sure. Uh, fill us in on that. Yeah, sure. So, um, again, I think the our local churches, uh, even though they're oftentimes almost taken for granted uh, in the 21st century, I think they're really important. Uh, and I think reading is really important for us, uh, for each kind of local church, uh, to to discern what are we about, who are we, where are we, why are we, when are we. I mean, all of those really, um, those questions that lie at the heart of our identity um, I think reading is really helpful for for getting uh, starting to wrap our minds around uh, those questions. Again, kind of reading scripture first uh, because that's the primary story, but but then also um, reading other sorts of things. So I live in an urban neighborhood, and uh, there are folks in our congregation that, including myself, a little bit that reads uh, 
that read urban theory and urban history, kind of understanding what what is this place uh, that we live within um, and that we're called to be faithful within. Um, so I think that all that sort of uh, reading is really helpful uh, for us to understand uh, who we are as as uh, local congregations. Now, Chris, I want you to talk to us about discerning our call. That's a big one. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, this is uh, wrestling with, with questions of vocation here. And certainly um, uh, each individual has a... Uh, has a unique calling, a unique set set of gifts. Uh, but part of the work of the local church, as I see it, is as I use the language in the chapter of orchestrating. How do how do all of our gifts of our members and our congregation fit together? How do they work together? How do they support one another uh, in order to to energize uh, the local church community uh, to to help us uh, live into uh, our identity? So this kind of fits with the, the previous chapter. Um, so, but we read, we read to to understand um, our vocations. Uh, we read to understand how to do the work that we do uh, better. Uh, whether we're a lawyer or uh, a plumber or um, or a teacher, uh, reading is re- really important uh, to the work of um, of understanding how to do the work well, but also understanding what does it mean to do this work. Uh, in the way of Jesus, what does it look like to uh, be faithful as as a lawyer, as an entrepreneur, um, as a doctor, um, and and how do how do our particular gifts and our vocation kind of fit and work together uh, with uh, others in our congregation? Christopher, it's time now to talk about reading with our neighbors. Yeah, certainly. So, uh, kind of up to this prior to this chapter in the book. Um, I'm, I'm talking about how do we how do we read together as a church community? And I say that reading is really important uh, for the health and well-being and flourishing of our churches. Uh, but I also believe that the things that God has ordained uh, for us uh, for the health and well-being of our churches are also practices uh, that God uh, ultimately intends uh, for the the health and flourishing of all all humanity and all creation. Um, and so, uh, so if reading is helpful for us uh, as as congregations, then uh, we should find ways to invite our neighbors into practices of reading, into practices of conversation. Reading and conversation are kind of intertwined uh, sorts of practices um, throughout this book. Um, so, finding ways uh, to promote uh, literacy, uh, just uh, I mean from literacy at the most basic sense, but also to cultural literacy. I mean, how do we, how do we participate uh, well? I mean, we have a, have a democracy, uh, democratic system here in the United States, and uh, how, do we, how do we participate well within that? How do we understand um, how that is, and how do, we, how do we work for change and transformation? I think there's lots of uh, really good work for churches to do in engaging our neighbors uh, in these ways. Chris, I think that dovetails right into this topic deepening our roots in our neighborhoods, right? Yeah, we absolutely, certainly. I mean, part of the the ways of reading with our neighbors is, uh, I mean, so I live, uh, maybe just a quick story here. I mean, I live, as I mentioned earlier, I live in an urban neighborhood, a neighborhood that's a fairly low, or has, historically has been fairly low income, uh, blue collar, uh, long blue, blue collar history here. Um, but um, 
but one of the ways uh, that uh, things are starting to change is uh, the work of kind of really understanding the history of our neighborhood. I mean, part of, uh, like a lot of urban neighborhoods, our neighborhood kind of experienced the sort of so-called white flight of a lot of people moving out of this neighborhood in the 60s, 70s. Uh, but but now as we're starting to, to rebound, uh, part of the work has been really trying to tell a story about our place, look back at our history. There's lots of really fascinating stories um, that of things that happened in our neighborhood and trying to leverage those stories uh, and to help this place that for a long time was perceived at least as not much of a place at all uh, to be a place uh, to have it a place that has an interesting story that people want to want to be a part of um, and use leveraging that story to uh, to energize uh, business and other sorts of, of development here uh, so I think there's good work for churches to do in uh, really understanding kind of where they are and really helping their neighbors uh, kind of see see the story of their place um, and I think uh, places that uh, really have have I mean all places have have interesting stories, but stories places that tell their stories well, um, I think are more more likely to be flourishing places. Christopher Smith is the founder and senior editor of the Englewood Review of Books, author of Reading for the Common Good. By the way, Chris, tell us about your reading habits. What do you like to read, and when do you read, and how long do you read, and what's what's on your reading agenda next, et cetera? Sure, yeah, no, that's great. Um, so uh, it's kind of weird uh, as an editor of a book review. I mean, I do – I re- certainly read uh, full books, uh, but I also read uh, lots of portions of books uh, trying to uh, curate uh, the books that we want to review. Um, uh, in so we do a lot of reviews on our website, and we have also have a quarterly print magazine. Uh, and so uh, a lot of my my reading is reading portions of books, uh, reading catalogs, uh, trying to trying to figure out what books do we want, do we really think are going to be beneficial for for people to read. Um, I do tend to just personally, I tend to read a lot more nonfiction than I do fiction or poetry. Um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to think of uh, one of the books that I'm reading right now is uh, Wendell Berry, uh, Kentucky uh, farmer and poet, has a new book of uh, of poems, and uh, and it also has a really uh, interesting essay at the back of this collection of po- poems. Um, so I've been reading that. It's called A Small Porch. I've been reading that recently. My guest is Christopher Smith. Uh, he is the author of Reading for the Common Good. We've got another segment to talk with Chris about his book, Reading for the Common Good. Uh, But in the meantime, just let me remind you, uh, you're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, We do this show every weekend, and we're always very happy when you join us. Uh, Just a reminder, this is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN, based in Orlando, Florida. So stay with us. More with Christopher Smith in Indianapolis right after these messages. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Christopher Smith is with us. We're talking about reading for the common good. Chris, let's talk about this one. Hope for our interconnected creation. Sure. So um, part of... uh, 
part of the history that we've inherited over the last um, four or five hundred years of the the modern age is has been one of a fragmentation. Uh, certainly, we see this uh, pretty uh, clearly happening uh, in our churches. Uh, kind of the history of of Protestantism has been uh, one of uh, kind of a fragmentation of uh, if you don't agree about something, you kind of break off and start your start your own church. Uh, but what does that um, mean uh, for uh, for creation? Uh, I believe that just kind of work from the theological uh, conviction that that God is Trinity and that uh, the nature of God's creation uh, is uh, is intimately uh, connected uh, in ways that we don't always uh, completely understand. Uh, and so what does it what does it mean uh, to to be faithful uh, within uh, the the created order? Uh, and how do we uh, reading can help us uh, at least begin to wrap our minds a little bit about around uh, the the sort of interconnection connectedness of um, of the creation in which we live. Um, and so, I mean, reading a reading ecology, of course, um, is helpful for that. Uh, reading uh, economics, uh, understanding the ways. So we're in local churches that are in particular places. How are our particular places connected uh, to other places? Uh, certainly, economic uh, sorts of ties uh, are are part of that that web of interconnectedness. Um, so, uh, so yeah. How do we how do we be attentive uh, to uh, the ways in which uh, we're connected with with other people in other places and other uh, parts of creation? And how do we how do we not? I mean, how do we live faithfully and justly uh, and not uh, be oppressive uh, to to other people in other places? I, I think reading is really important for that work. How about reading uh, in this regard toward faithful engagement in economics and politics? Yeah, certainly. Obviously, in a presidential election year, <laughs> this is uh, uh, maybe perhaps one of the most relevant uh, chapters of the book. Uh, but, um, but again, I start uh, I start uh, with the the local church in the local neighborhood, and I mean, I think the vision for for economics and politics that I work from is one that begins uh, not at kind of the highest levels, the sort of uh, presidential uh, levels or even senatorial levels, but uh, but begins at the local uh, local levels. And how do we how do we really care uh, for for our place um, well, and what what is in the best interest of of our neighbors in our particular place, um, and and then kind of working outward from there. Uh, you know, uh, kind of, again, kind of going back to the previous chapter, our place is intimately connected to lots of other places. And uh, if there's an issue that's affecting our neighborhood, uh, whether it's, say, an environmental issue or an economic issue, um, there's going to likely be other places uh, that experience a similar issue. And how can we, how can we work um, with those places to, uh, to deal with uh, larger systemic issues that kind of um, are are much bigger than any one individual place. Christopher, I want you to get to uh, the ninth topic, becoming a reading congregation. Uh, what are you teaching us here? Yeah, sure. So, I, I mean, I talk about all the ways um, in this chapter uh, that we can promote uh, habits of, of reading that I think will be beneficial uh, to our congregations. And and this is kind of perhaps the 
the most kind of nuts and bolts uh, sort of practical chapter uh, of uh, kind of in the how-to sense um, of how do we how do we provide uh, uh, people in our congregation and our neighbors even uh, with access uh, to books that we think will be helpful. Um, I mean, certainly, lots of churches have libraries. How do we how do we do those libraries well? Um, maybe uh, some book, some churches have bookstores. Uh, how do we how do we use those? To, <clears throat> excuse me to uh, to promote practices of reading in our congregation and uh, in our neighborhoods. Um, how do we how do we read together well? Uh, I mean, where are the spaces in which we're kind of reading and talking about things? Oftentimes, in churches, that's Sunday, the Sunday school hour, or Bible study groups, or um, other kind of one-off sorts of, of seminars or book clubs. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities. Um, but I try, I try to kind of throw a lot of these possibilities out there and try to uh, encourage churches to think about the ways that they're reading and how can how can we, as local congregations, uh, read better and more carefully uh, and and in conversation with one another um, better. Christopher, let's uh, talk about the epilogue. Uh, it's simply called Revive Us Again, and I'd like to know what uh, you're sharing with us there. Sure, yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, this is kind of the, the, the note that I want to end on, and uh, I, I want to end on a hopeful note. I mean, there's a lot of um, really... Uh, I mean, we live in difficult times, uh, but but I'm hopeful that kind of the tradition that we've inherited uh, within Christianity, the tradition of uh, of reading um, and uh, paying attention. I mean, of course, first and foremost to Scripture, uh, but also to to other uh, sorts of works that help us to to live well. Um, uh, to imagine a good life, uh, not only for ourselves, uh, but also for our neighbors. Uh, and so, so yeah, I mean, uh, that's kind of my prayer, uh, uh, that, that God would, would revive us again, uh, through, uh, through careful practices of, of reading and conversation and reflection on really how do we, how do we, how do we live well together? How do we, uh, embody, uh, the way of Jesus well together, uh, in our, in our own particular places? How would you summarize our discussion, Chris? That uh, reading, reading is a practice uh, that, if done well and done with others, uh, I think that's one of the the key themes of the book. Is that it's not enough just for us to kind of personally be reading. Of course, a lot of the reading we're going to do is is personal, uh, but uh, but how do we find ways to interweave the things that we're reading uh, as as individuals uh, with um, the conversations that are going on uh, in our churches, in our neighborhoods. Um, so reading, uh, reading in community, reading in communion, uh, kind of a term that I use in the book, um, is a practice uh, that I believe is radically transformative. Um, uh, but yet it's not something that's unfamiliar to us. It's, we have a rich tradition of this in the church, uh, and I, I think particularly in this uh, age of the the soundbite uh, and the blog post um, that uh, we need to uh, learn to to read a little bit more slowly, a little bit more carefully, and also read uh, with others. Um, and to the extent that we're able to do that, I think we our churches uh, and our places uh, will be transformed.
Chris, give us a book or two that you would recommend uh, for our reading enjoyment. Sure. Um, well, certainly, uh, I mean, I've already mentioned, uh, I've, I've found the, the works of Wendell Berry um, really helpful. I mean, he's, he's probably one of the premier American no- or essayists at this point. He's also written a few novels and some poetry as well. Um, so he's kind of pretty broad in the sorts of works that he does. Uh, does but he's been really helpful uh, for me and for other people um, that I know, uh, kind of around the country, uh, in uh, in understanding and imagining, kind of going back to this idea of the social imagination, imagining what it might look like to to live a little bit more healthily. Um, Marilyn Robinson, uh, the novelist, um, uh, her works uh, have been immensely helpful uh, in. Uh, and again, kind of understanding the times in which we live and understanding what uh, Christian faithfulness might look like uh, in our times. So those are a couple um, that I think are good places to start. Well, Chris, it's great to talk to you. Congratulations on your book, Reading for the Common Good. I'm so glad we could visit. Christopher Smith, our guest. We've got a wrap-up, folks, right after this. On the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Hey, I'm Chris Brown, host of Chris Brown's True Stewardship, brought to you by Ramsey Solutions. As a husband and father, I know the stress of managing family finances. And as a pastor, I've seen how handling money poorly can tear apart lives. Well, imagine what life would be like if there were no car payments, student loans, or money fights. What if your finances could be worry-free? God has a lot to say about money. Tune in. Chris Brown's True Stewardship from Ramsey Solutions. Don't miss it. Weekday afternoons at 2, right after New Life Live. With Steve Arterburn, the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Well, folks, thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Tara McClary Reeves, our guest in the first half hour, talking about her new book, Point Me to Jesus 365 Excellent Devotionals. And then Christopher Smith joined us from uh, Indianapolis, reading for the common good, and uh, so glad we could have both guests. Please visit my website, it's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat, and uh, check out my most recent book, it's called Leadership Excellence, The Seven Sides of Leadership. Uh, that'll help every leader. It's in bookstores now. Amazon.com, always a wonderful way to order books. Have a wonderful day in church tomorrow with your family and a great week ahead. And uh, we'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.